And so I, I looked at her and I'm like, am I in labor? Is this happening? And she just nodded. Like, I don't even remember her saying yes, you know? And she just responded, we don't know why this is happening. And at that point, you know, she basically said, and babies at 22 weeks are not going to survive. Yeah. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. Welcome back for part three. Before moving on to this part of our story, I want to remind our listeners that this episode contains sensitive content. My hope is that you will take care of yourself and you will tend to your emotional and mental health needs if things that we share in this episode bring up some big feelings for you. My family and I are very much still processing what happened to us. We are riding the waves of grief and loss while I am doing my very best to receive support and heal my physical body. There are so many unknowns in life. I am so grateful that I have my husband, Jordan, by my side to weather the storms. It's wild to think that when we said our vows to each other on our wedding day almost two years ago, we had no real, true understanding of what all of those things would come to mean for us in the future. We are two people committed to one another in love and all in in our relationship who have been through some really tough stuff recently. While I would absolutely have things play out differently if I had the choice to go back and change it all, would, I am still so thankful that through it all, Jordan and I are experiencing a new depth to our relationship. Grief and loss are changing each of us individually and our relationship in irreversible ways. And we are learning that maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing and neither is our sadness or is our despair. We have added to our emotional range and to our capacity to love, recommit, and try again. Here's part three. Now we start part three. Yeah. Um, so we get to the hospital and it's probably, we get picked up from the airport around seven. I think we get admitted into the hospital somewhere around 730. And I'm hooked up to a contraction monitor. And we go through the whole process of getting admitted and all the information. And at that point, they're like, clearly you're contracting, but we can't see anything. You know, the doctor comes, we start the process, you know, of like, we're seen by someone and then like an hour goes by and seen by someone and then someone checks on us and the doctor comes in and, you know, checks my cervix she says that it's tight. She says that it's closed. She can see that there's fluid or she can see that there's some blood. She doesn't know what's causing it. And she orders, um, you know, they feel my belly. They can see the contraction monitor, all those things. My vitals look good. Baby on the, on the Doppler, his heart rate is fine. And they can see that I'm contracting, but they don't know what it's from. And so uh, she orders an ultrasound and we're left there. And at this point, I'm now having to close my eyes and breathe through the contractions when they come. And we're left there for a while, waiting for the ultrasound tech to come. You know, the nurses are nice. They bring us sandwiches, you know. Delicious, nutritious, artisan. No. Organic sandwiches uh, from 
the health place that is the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't true. Yeah, Um, not so much. Yeah. And so we're, we're just hanging around and then eventually, you know, I'm, I'm still going to the bathroom occasionally and the, and I, there's just a little bit more blood or a little bit more something that's there. And I'm like, and I'm just moving through the contractions and I'm like, if this isn't labor, I don't know what the fuck is happening, you know? And at this point I don't, I'm not aware, like once labor starts, you can't, you can't really stop it, you know? And at least that's the, the doctors are like, we can't stop this once it starts. Basically like we, we can try, we can do all these things, but it's, you know, at this point I'm, I'm 22 weeks and I basically through this process have had to go somewhere else inside myself because the thought of like the reality is that we just have confirmation that we have, our baby has downs. We don't know what kind of health challenges he was either going to have or not going to have coming with that diagnosis. And here we are at 22 weeks and I think I'm in fucking labor. And like, to me, I'm like, we're not anywhere close to viability. Viability is what, 25, 26 weeks. So at this point, that's just roughly in my head. And so I'm like, I, I couldn't think about, I couldn't really process if my baby's born today, he's not going to live. I could only think of the pain. I could only think of like, this is a medical emergency. And I also had some peace knowing that I was at least where people spoke English and like in the comfort of where my home is. And so the ultrasound tech comes and she's with us for a long while. Like she takes a while to get to us. And then she's with us for a long while, 30, 45 minutes. She checks everything with the baby. She checks his fluid levels. So it looks good. Checks his body. Body looks good. He's kicking away. Jordan and I are watching the contraction monitor move up and down while his little feet are kicking right there. And out of all of it, I'm just like, yeah, like he seems fine. He seems fine. Like my water is still intact. Membranes are still intact. But she can see and feel that I'm contracting too. And she can see it on the monitor. And then she's kind of quiet for a while. And, you know, I ask about the cervix and she's like, I can't see the cervix um, because his head is right on top of it. And then she responded, I think we need to get, well, actually she has Jordan start timing the contractions because she's watching me. Well. Huh? So, which I didn't do very well. He didn't do very well. I don't know why he didn't do very well. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. But she was also just not very clear. And I'm, I'm a, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I, I, anyway, it was, I figured it out. And we figured out that the contractions at that point were coming every three minutes and they and were coming were increasing in the intensity, in the intensity and, the and they were on pretty much on every three minutes. And when you're in them, you were now it was so intense and extreme that you were having to like close your eyes and tune out and meditate through it. Oh yeah. And breathe big breaths. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was just totally unprepared for any of these things. You know, to me, I was like, I was preparing for December. I was preparing to learn my breathing techniques and my like pain management and all this stuff I was preparing for, for much later. And, um, but it was happening right then. And, you know, she's, she's like, I want to get the doctor in as soon as possible because I want to get your cervix checked again and just, just make sure. Um, she's like the most basically told us that the most concerning thing is that the baby's head is so low 
And it was something that I noticed in the few ultrasounds that I'd had is that, you know, when I had gone in for the anatomy scan, I'd gone in for the amniocentesis when they checked my cervix, where they put the ultrasound monitor was up higher. And then all these three more recent ones, right before I was in the hospital and like around the time when I was going to the hospital, all of those ultrasounds, when I would ask about my cervix, they were putting the the wand for the ultrasound machine so much lower and they were wiggling it around and they were saying that they could see it. It looked okay. But I noticed that was weird. Yeah. His head was there. And even yeah, though that's again, not abnormal, but it's also not terribly normal for his exactly. size. Normally they're laying side to side and they yeah. could be flipping around and moving around, but he was full on cephalic ready to come yeah. out. So, um, the doctor comes back in and does a check and I can feel like pretty much immediately when she does the check, when she kind of backs away from me, that something's changed. And she says, well, when we, when you first came in and I did the cervix check, it was tight and it was thick and now it's almost completely thinned out and you're a half a centimeter dilated. And I'm just taking, again, trying to take in the information and also wanting it not to be true at the same time. And then she just goes into, we're going to go ahead and move you to a private room and, and like monitor you from there. At this point, we had been in the hospital for about four hours. Yeah. I think we got there around 730. Now we're looking at close to 1130. Yeah. And it was, it was so weird because it's this funny thing that I think happens with doctors and hospitals that sometimes but I had to ask her directly. And I so appreciate how you generally do this and you were really doing it then where you're asking very specific questions and getting to clarity that otherwise we would not have gotten to, uh, at least in that way. It would have just been left in the gray area and I could have wound up like getting to what the end was and not even knowing that 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 was actually still happening because I've never been in this. I've never, this never happened to me before. So I didn't, I just didn't know and could have just been oblivious, you know? And so I, I looked at her and I'm like, am I in labor? Is this happening? And she just nodded. Like, I don't even remember her saying yes, you know? And she just responded, we don't know why this is happening. And at that point, you know, she basically said, and babies at 22 weeks are not going to survive. Yeah. Yeah. So she shares that. And she, I think even also at that time, she shared how with Downs, premature birth is very common, which we didn't even know up to that point. Like no one had said that to us. Yeah. I was only under, I was only under the understanding that when they come early, that that was meant at like 37 weeks. Yeah, they, they generally 30, come 30, a little early. 37, 38 weeks, that, a couple like, weeks early. Yeah, but now that they're very commonly like up to 50%, depending on what statistics you look at, uh, nonetheless, a high percentage that they come not only just like early, but premature. But in the second trimester. Yeah. Uh, so the doctor then says something along the lines of, you know, sometimes the body just knows something is off and it responds. Uh, so that was kind of her way of interpreting it amongst all the other medical reasons we're trying to latch onto for why this is happening. Right. And then we didn't have any. And so that yeah. one was available to yeah. use. So then we get transferred and now things are really picking up. Doctor comes back and says, I misspoke earlier. Uh, I guess the hospital now, it's, it seemed like somewhat recently the hospital had adopted a new policy where 
even though this is very premature and typically they don't, and I think just a general practice, even beyond this specific hospital is at 22 weeks, we're about 22 and a half. It's considered technically not viable, but there, it is possible that baby will survive still quite low. Uh, and so they give you the option and they share what that could entail. Right. So then at and that she point, said that a NICU nurse was yeah. going to come and speak to us about the process yeah. and, and what that could look like. And at that point, even hearing that information from her, I was like, I, I like knew. Yeah. And it was hard to take in really any of the information. I was there and I was present. I remember hearing things and I can retell you the things, but I was having to breathe, like and process my own internal situation. And especially at this, I mean, it was already things were progressing and big stuff was happening and we're navigating the bigness of it, but now it's like everything's on hyper overdrive. So, all right, NICU nurse is going to be coming soon. They asked me if I want pain, you want meds. pain meds. And at that point, given the circumstances, I'll let you share your thought process, but yeah, decided, given, yes. the, given the circumstances, I just, at first, when we first got there, I was, they were like, do you want something for the, for the pain? And I'm like, I don't know why I'm here. Why would I say I want something for the pain? I'm, I'm okay. And then they asked me maybe one or two more times leading up to, and I'm like, no, I'm okay. No, I'm okay. Cause I'm just, I'm just, I still don't know what's happening. Yeah. Then when it's yes, you're in labor. And then I, I just go, I'm in labor. Chances are very high. My baby is not going to survive. I just have this moment of like, why would I, why this is hard and this is painful on every level. And I don't know when the end is. Mm-hmm. This is just steadily getting more and more uncomfortable and steadily getting more and more painful. Eventually, I'm just like, sure, yes, you can give them to me. And it wasn't, an, you know, like they said, everything from like something simple to an epidural. And I'm just, I said, we can run the IV and I'll take, you know, something intravenously. I didn't, I didn't opt for anything that was more invasive or anything like that. And it wouldn't have mattered. But I said, yes because my plan was no pain meds. If, you know, I'm taking a baby to term and I'm having a home birth or I'm having a birth at a birthing center and, you know, and it's, it's just, these are different things, very different things. So I said, yes, but then it took a long time for them to even come bring, you know, for the nurse to come in with the port materials and the, you know, and then I wanted, I was like, I don't, I haven't taken any kind of drug like this or pain medicine in a really long time. And I'm nervous that it's going to make me nauseous. So, so then they have to go in to get the nausea medicine. And so, and then they've got to find the port to put the port in. But before she even comes in with all this stuff to do to me, the NICU nurse comes in and I tell the NICU nurse when she comes in, I was like, you have approximately two minutes of my attention before I'm not listening to anything that you're saying. And then you have two more minutes of my attention. And then I'm not listening to anything that you're saying. And so she sits in the room with us while I am back to back two minutes having contractions and tells us the likelihood of our baby living through this experience. Yeah. And so to dig into that a little bit, we are presented with impossible situation and decision where my interpretation understanding was at 24 weeks, technically a baby is considered medically viable to live outside the womb. Still lots of complications to navigate, but the probability goes up 
notably at that point. Before that, it's very, very low. So we're at just about 22 and a half weeks. And this hospital, basically what would happen is if we decided, hey, we want to, at any and all costs, do whatever is possible to hopefully potentially save baby Gabriel Vincent's life, then here's how it goes. Immediately when he comes out, we take him and transfer him to another hospital that has a higher level NICU care. And then from there, it's we see what happens over the day, the course of maybe hours, days, weeks, months. And she started to paint the picture of what we could reasonably expect. And so the first part is, will he survive? Low chance, but it's possible. And the ranges are, are so hard, but like my understanding was single digit to up to maybe 20 to 30% that he potentially survives. Then from there, if he does, we're looking at moderate at best to extreme severe disabilities. Uh, Like not able, not able or ever able to walk, be in a wheelchair, potentially not be able to speak at all. Yeah. And a slew of other potential issues Mm. with his lungs, with eating, with all these things. And then she threw in there and then that's not on top of a Down's diagnosis. Yeah, that is independent of the Down's diagnosis. So as we're considering all of this, because the options are what she's saying to us or comfort care, but she says to us, you know, ideally, if we were going to go this route, we would be trying to keep you pregnant for at least two days to give you steroids for the baby's lung development. And in this process, we would also be transferring you to the other hospital where there's higher NICU capabilities because we would want for him to be delivered right into the NICU versus needing to be transferred. And so then she's painting this picture, but you're here now, you know, and what we're gathering out of all of this is, To me, I'm like, this is progressing really fast. We're not slowing anything down. I don't know where I'm at in this process. It's really painful. But like, all I could think of was I'm going to have this baby and they're going to take, they're going to try to transfer him somewhere else. And I'm not going to be with him because they're not going to let me leave. Yeah. You know, and you're going to be faced with the very difficult decision of leaving me or going with him. Yeah. And I think that we both know that you would be going with him. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? (laughs) But probably. And, and chances are that he, the highest likelihood was that if we chose that, he was going to die on his way there or shortly after he got there. And he wasn't going to have potentially either parent next to him while he died. Mm -hmm. And he's just going to get poked and prodded and tubes and everything. And so then we were, you know, given the option of, do we do that or do we choose comfort care? And comfort care means that we just go on and we have the baby and we have the option to do skin to skin, which we said yes to, that we would do that. And that, you know, we'd cut cord and all of that. And then he would be placed on my chest and that they would do minimal intervening only what they had to and that we would get to spend, you know, as much time with him as we wanted basically. And, you know, more or less gave us some realistic expectations of what that was going to look like. And 
you know, we got all this information and in between I'm moving through contractions. And then I just look over at Jordan and I think we both just nodded. We'll go with comfort care. Yeah. I think you even said something on the lines of you make the decision. Like at some point you said something like that. I think maybe in the middle of a contraction right before or something like that. But even before that, and certainly after it was very clear, this is what wants to happen. Like this is us surrendering to what is, as opposed to trying to force something on it. And I also very much in that moment was sitting with, again, this impossible situation of, okay, my blissful optimism as I tend to live my life uh, is, but what if he is this 0.001% that the Down syndrome diagnosis was wrong and or he survives and or he actually even on some level thrives and is able to function and all this stuff. And yet my more, I guess, mature, realistic part of myself acknowledged what feels genuinely best here is that we- What's best for him. What's best for him is to- live whatever amount of his life that he may or may not have because you know we didn't even know how he would be born necessarily we didn't know we didn't um, know so to be with us she this lady leaves contractions are coming and coming and lady come different lady comes in nurse with all the stuff for the port just the iv takes her time finding it the contractions are still just coming every couple of minutes she gets me set up there and then, you know, nausea meds, then a flush, and then pain meds. And I think I had a contraction right after the pain meds went in. And I realized that they actually don't do much. <laughs> they the edge off took a little bit. little bit of the edge off, but it didn't take any of. So it's around this time that I'm starting to now feel ex- like the contractions are like level 10 intensity you know, nine and a half or so intensity and significant pressure, like pelvic bowl, pelvic region pressure. And it's starting to like push on. And I kept telling Jordan like the weirdest and most uncomfortable thing about the contraction, because I could breathe through like the contraction itself, but it felt like it was pushing on my butthole from the inside. Like it felt like it was pushing on my bowels um, or my rectum. And then when it got to about this point, I think I had maybe two contractions where it was just like, wow, this is really, really, really intense. And the doctor, the doctor had come in right around when the pain meds were getting administered. And then she goes, okay, I'm going to do one more check for you. And then she checks my cervix. And so, and she says, okay, well, you, you know, this is like two, was it two hours prior? I was a half a centimeter. No, it was an hour prior that she did this. Yeah, uh, it might have been a little bit more time, but it was short. It was with between one and two hours. I went from a half a centimeter dilated to all the way dilated. And she said, okay, well, you're you're fully dilated, but your water is still intact. Like your bag of water and everything is still intact. So, and she pulled away from me and she was going to say, I think something about monitoring or something. And I was like, these contractions are coming. And then the nurse asked me a question about like, does it feel like you have to poop? And I was like, it feels like everything. Have you ever been too much in your head during sex? Like racing thoughts that keep you in your head and out of your body and out of your pleasure? 
is one of the things that goes through your mind, maybe laundry, <laughs> like, is this sex worth messing up the bed or having to strip the sheets and or comforter off to put in the wash afterwards? Well, my friend, I've got just the thing to remedy this conundrum. If that's you, it's called a splash blanket. And it's one of my favorite additions to our sexy toy box. Before playtime, we just lay out our splash blanket and we do our thing without worrying if lube or anything else is getting on my fresh bedclothes underneath. It allows for me to relax and for my husband not to worry if I'm worrying about having to do laundry or scrubbing some sort of fluid off the comforter after we finish. We even travel with our smaller blankets because to us, they represent play, sexiness, and fun. And they keep questionable things off the beds in the Airbnbs we rent. And that's worthy of a five-star review, if you ask me. If this sounds like just the thing to add to your collection, you can visit my favorite place to shop for all sexual wellness products, Yoni Pleasure Palace. Bonus, you can use the code THATSEXCHICK, all one word, for 15% off your order. And while you're there, why not check out the crystal and glass wands, natural lubricants, and body-safe silicone toys? There's always something new to explore at yonipleasurepalace.com. Yes. I was like, yes. The answer is yes. Like it is pushing on everything inside. And, and I said, I said something to that effect and returned to her. And so then, then she's trying to tell the doctor that she's saying that it feels like blah, blah, blah. And I go, another contraction is happening right now. And as it comes on, everything inside of me just bears down, like almost on its own, everything just contracts hard and pushes and my water bag breaks and essentially my water explodes out of me very forcefully and the doctors and the nurse they rush back to me and Jordan and Jordan was over my shoulder and he was I don't know if you said oh fuck or oh shit or like that oh something and you were standing up and I was like oh my god I'm holding on to the blanket and I'm like trying to move it away from my legs and water is just everywhere and blood and all the things and like it felt like not even a second later we just heard the tiniest little cry Mm -hmm. like so pathetic like so sweet Mm -hmm. and tiny and the doctor held him up and they asked if you wanted to cut the cord and they had to run and find scissors. And he was just moving around, you know, with his little arms and legs and He's a full-on little whining human. and cry, whimpering and kind of trying to cry. But kind of couldn't, barely. <laughs> and they put him on my chest. This was not even 25 minutes after the NICU nurse left. So when I go back to revisiting like what we should have done, we didn't have a choice. We actually didn't have a choice. There was no time to put any of that emotion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had Gabriel right there with us for about an hour and a half. And in that hour and a half, he was, you know, certainly the first portion of the hour and a half, he was opening and closing his little hands. And he was making like these gasps and every now and then he'd scrunch his face and he let out a little whine. Mm-hmm. That was our little boy. It was, yeah, so sweet, sad, and 
Precious. Precious. And I didn't know what to expect. Neither of us did, but I certainly didn't expect this little full on human. No visible signs of of downs or of any couldn't see. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying it just adding to the yeah. wildness of it all. And I'm also still navigating this survival fear response of, oh my God, he's alive. We got to keep him alive, you know? So I'm still struggling a little bit in the background, but mostly it just felt like there was God's presence and like peace even so much like tender sadness and tears and we're loving on him, praying over him, loving on each other. And it didn't feel in the moment for me, I'm, maybe it's different for you, but it didn't feel traumatic. It didn't feel like it did, but it overwhelming feeling was just beauty. Oh my God, this is our baby boy. And we're just loving him and loving this moment and all of its absurdity and beauty. It was definitely traumatic. Yeah. And it was all those things. And it could have, could have been the fentanyl. Yeah. That made it a little less sure. intense. Even though it was only a small amount, still something that I'm questioning. But yeah, we were able to be at peace with him. And I just wanted everything to stop being chaotic around him. Yeah. I wanted to protect him. Mm-hmm. Kept telling him over and over again how sorry I was. You know, I just felt like his birth was so fast and so explosive in a sense. Like, I just felt like he didn't know what was happening. Like, it felt like such a shock to him, to me. Like, he wasn't expecting it. You know, like, he was still in there, kicking around, Heartbeat, fine, thinking everything's fine. Granted, he, he can't. This is just what I superimpose onto him, you know? Like, And then all of a sudden, he's out. And uh, eventually, you know, he he stopped breathing. And his heart slowed down. And then um, the nurses came in and confirmed that he'd passed by like 2 a.m., but we noticed that he was he was gone by like 140 mm-hmm. or so and i just can't even begin to describe like only other people who've been through this other mothers who've lost parents who've lost could have any idea of what this feels like just to go all of it all of it to, you know, having him and having him alive. And then so shortly after having him gone and then being able to keep holding him, but he's not alive. And then them taking him and cleaning him up a little bit and wrapping him in a new swaddle in a new hat that fits him. And he's so tiny. 
And then we have this baby in our room and I'm just there and we're so tired. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened? And when they took him, I just kept saying to myself, and I know I said it a few times to you, I was like, I can't believe I just had a baby. I was so not prepared to have a baby. You know, just like a few days after my birthday. It's just so unfair. (laughs) You know? And to have to make the decision of like, when do I decide to never see you again? How many pictures and videos to take of you? Like, when does this get weird? And now I sit with the handful of videos and the handful of pictures I have, and I look at them and I go, how is this all that I have of you? I wanted you so much. I would have done anything for you. I prayed for you. I communed with you. And now I have less than a minute and 15 seconds of your life. It's a blurry pictures. And I'm just, yeah, kissing him, telling him goodbye, having to decide if we were going to bury him or cremate him, filling out birth and death certificates because he wasn't stillborn. He was alive. Having postpartum, like immediate postpartum care from the nurses, getting a bereavement box. It is so incredibly painful. The whole thing. And maybe one day I'll look back on it and have, you know, more beauty than pain to reflect on. And, you know, it's been only a couple weeks since we had him. And so right now, the most prevalent thing is pain and loss. And I'm also just, like, that's the vast majority, but I also am just so grateful that he existed at all. So I don't know if I would trade it, you know? If I could trade not having him for not having the pain, I don't know. I don't know leaving the hospital after just having a baby but not having a baby is a kind of fucked up I wish on no one ever, ever, ever. Having a postpartum body, doing postpartum things like having milk come in, you know, and not having a baby to, to give it to is like, there are no words. There are no words. Waking up and having them leak and and then eventually having them go down. Then eventually looking in the mirror and like some of the weight is gone, but a lot of it's not and nothing's the same. But I don't have like, I don't have the baby that makes it worth it, you know? Like I would sacrifice my body and give and give for this baby. That makes it worth it. And now I look like I had one and I don't. Every part of of our life right now 
is just shrouded in this pain. My happiness is hijacked. And I am so tender. And I am so fragile. And I am at this very difficult crossroad of postpartum and grief and loss where I am, I probably need community. I'm terrified of groups of people and I have so much anxiety. Even having this conversation, I know I'm just having it with you in the room, but it's going out publicly and I don't know what I need and I don't know what you need because uh, probably what I could use is reflection from other people who've been through some version of what we've been through, but I'm also scared of being in contact with people right now. And at some point, I know that the, that my next step in healing is actually letting people in and letting love in. And that feels really hard to do right now. Thank you, Mary. Fucked up and beautiful. Thank you for opening yourself up and sharing your heart. Where do we go from here? Well, how do you feel? How did you feel leaving the hospital and going through that experience? Like, a big part of my role in the midst of this is to support you and to be strong for you and to be vigilant and present and loving and positive and not try to fix. And that's an obvious one, but it's especially in a situation like that, potentially desperation for wanting to solve a problem that is, you know, cannot be solved. It's more just you are the priority. Just loving you, holding you, nourishing you. Yeah, so once we left and came home and your sister flew out, which was really, really special that she did, and she stayed for the weekend, and your mom came, and your mom was here for two week, two full weeks. Just left yesterday. Yeah, in the those two weeks, having your mom... I didn't even quite realize how how valuable that would be. Certainly, it's like, yeah, mother, daughter, only another woman can understand anything about being pregnant and, and birth in general. Uh, so that I'm so grateful that your mom was able to do that. And what it did for me and for us is gave you the the comfort, the the love, the presence that you need needed in particular in those two weeks so that I could continue to take care of what needs to be taken care of in our lives, take over your calls, communication. And that was really my number one priority was to support you and, and through that protect you from commitments, communication, uh, something that we've talked about that's such an interesting phenomenon in a situation like this and just maybe grief and sadness and intensity in general is people want to support. They want to sympathize, empathize, 
give resources, share their story, all that kind of stuff. And while that's all beautiful, it's a lot. And there's also the experience of having to like manage other people's emotions in response to this, which is not a fun thing to do. I've, on behalf of our family, <laughs> told this story in a million times in a million different ways and spent just a story of baby coming of all of it. Yeah. yeah, All of it. Yeah. When someone shares things like I'm so heartbroken for you, I can imagine this is, I can't imagine going through something like what you're going through right now. This must be so hard. You must be in so much pain. I'm sending you love and healing for all the pain that you're going through. I'm just like, fuck me. And right. I get it. All right. right. Yeah. What else do you say? But I don't, you know, it's just, every, it's like message after message. Most of them are like that because it's their reaction to the thing as if they were in it versus the handful that are really lovely and sweet. And, and they're all lovely and sweet, but like the ones that really hit that are, that are very validating, but in a different way. Yeah. It's more, I don't even know how to describe what's really different between, you know, one, one is me or the situation and the other is like actually their process. Yeah. It's subtle, but it's, it is subtle. It's subtle. And I would imagine it would be hard for people to understand the difference. And maybe it's hard for me to even understand the difference, but you know, I think what's, what's most helpful is when it's people who have gone through a version of, and they just get it. Yeah. They lost a child or they, they had a stillbirth or they also did preterm or something happened and the way they approach me is just different. I can feel it in their words. It's different, you know, and maybe that's just it. Like, it's not going to be, it's not going to be an easy thing to connect with people over. It's not something I want to connect with people over. Mm -hmm. And eventually I do. This is part of that. Cause I'm an advocate for this now Yeah. and making sure people won't feel alone. And right now I am not super connected to what the purpose is in this pain. But I will eventually be connected to it and uh, and I'll share it. Yeah. We will share it. And um, yeah, do you have more? Um, I have always more. Sure. But for now, it feels good to, this feels therapeutic in a sense. It feels... Like I mentioned in the very beginning of this, but now it's probably going to be a three, maybe approaching four part series. No, three. <laughs> um, just flowing the energy, sharing it with our followers, listeners, extended community. And yeah, people can listen to all of this. Maybe now we direct people to listen to this so we don't have to continue to retell the story. But I think the last, maybe last one or two things I want to share is one, just double clicking and emphasizing how supportive everyone has been. Uh, and I've in our, you know, on our newsletter and social media, I've been very diligent with saying, Hey, whatever you want to share, please funnel that through me. Let me receive it. And I will hold it for our family and share it with you in whatever way makes the most sense. And that as challenging as that has been for me, it's felt, I feel so loved and supported on, on so many levels. Our close friends, our new bridesmaids made a GoFundMe for us. Yeah. And that feels 
fun, comfortable, and also awesome to share that right now in this moment that if you do feel somebody listening to this inspired to be of support in some sort of significant, tangible way, that's a way. Yeah. Um, Well, the reason why she did that is because we are supposed to be in our biggest launch of the year right now, enrolling for Sex and Love University, which we will eventually, but the, the time that we were supposed to be, we're not. And this is a really big program that pays for a lot of things for our team, pays salaries, it pays us. And it was what we were going to be essentially, it was how we were planning to be able to take postpartum time off in December and then in January, depending on when he was born. And um, while we still will probably enroll for that, where we are, we are going to launch that. We are going to run that. It's just going to be different. Like I'm at, I'm, I'm working at a different capacity. I'm actually not working right now. Um, you are trying to juggle everything and more and also grieve because you lost a son too. And you lost a huge part of yourself in losing Biggie. And, you know, you're definitely going through something as well, a big something. And right now, like I just went through something really traumatic. You did too, but I went through something physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all of the things traumatic. And so my process has overtaken yours. And we are just both really in it. Like we have two very broken hearts in our household. And it's going to be this way for a while. In some ways, both of us are going to carry this for the rest of our lives. But right now, the acute, very significant pain is affecting our livelihood. And that just adds to the pressure. Mm. And our closest friends know that we would probably never just ask our community to support us or for help. And so our one friend, she's Jewish. Uh, Yeah. She's direct. She's direct, kind of money she mindset. She makes things happen. Yep. She's, yeah, we love her. And um, she decided hearing, knowing us very intimately, thinking I bet, you know, her her story was, I bet that your community of people would want to love you and support you in this way. And so she did that for us. Um, my friends ordered me postpartum meals the um, doulas here in Austin have come and delivered services to me for free. You know, some extended community has dropped off meals um, in the process. Moms come, sisters come. Like we've, we've got support, you know, people have shown up in, in these really beautiful ways. And the amount of money that has come to us through the GoFundMe is going, it's allowing me slash us. I mean, mostly me at this point to grieve, to be in it, to have a space, to not have to rush right back into work when I'm still daily falling apart several times a day. So yeah, that's just kind of a little bit of the backstory around that and why it's there. And as weird as it is to receive, it's also like we're learning major receiving lessons in this season of life. And oddly enough, I would have thought if you would have told me that this was potentially going to happen or like this is this is going to happen in my head, I probably would have thought that that would make me mad at God. That would make me want to turn my just the slightly open heart I have towards faith and towards God and 
Jesus and all of that, that I would clamp down. That's that that's that's what I would have thought I would have done. When in reality, this whole process has just felt like divinely guided, all of it. And it's weird because I'm I'm so mad at times. I'm so angry that this happened and I just want a reason and I just, you know, make it make sense or who can I blame or who can I be mad at or any of that. Um, I have to, there's something in this though that feels like Gabriel, he was so pure and so untouched by the world and so innocent like in my mind and in my head, like the part of what consoles me is that he's somewhere else. And so in a lot of ways, it's ushering me even further into faith and what faith is to me and what I want it, what what I want my relationship to be like and with God, with all of it, because I just imagine him being somewhere better, being taken care of. With Biggie. Yeah. Big brother. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's start to wrap it up on the note of faith. I feel like a, a good note to leave on. We here and there have been going to church here locally in Austin. And it just felt like yesterday you're dropping your mom off at the airport. It was right around time and in, in the city near church and my older brother and younger sister are going to this church often. So I was like, you know, let's, let's go. Well, up to this point though, I've had a lot of anxiety about going places. Yeah. I haven't wanted to run into people. I haven't wanted to like have to be in that situation. Yeah. And I've literally been to Costco once, Whole Foods once. Movie theater. A couple times, both grocery store outings ran into someone. So I'm like, processing a lot of, let's say, social anxiety right now. And I was nervous even going to church. Yeah, understandably so. Like we've said and alluded to, you were pregnant, now you're not. What happened? Some people know, not everybody. And just being confronted in Yeah, and as soon as someone doesn't, you know, they turn around and they don't know that they're going to see me and I don't know I'm going to see them. And they see me and the, f- the first thing is, oh, Alexa. And then the next thing is a register of, they just lost a baby. And then their face changes. Mm-hmm. And then I have to go there mm-hmm. because they're there and I'm trapped in it in public. Yeah. So. We go to church. Uh, we grab a seat, worship, music's going on. We and see no one we know. Yeah. We saw no one we know, which was a positive for sure in this outing. And in front of us, a couple open seats being saved for someone. Some people start to fill those in. And one of them is uh, a young man with special needs. Uh, it's hard to say like, exactly what that is, but I-, I would say relatively akin to Down syndrome, autism, like in that realm, but it's maybe its own unique thing. He sat in the chair right in front of me. Right in front of Lex. Has worship is happening, music's coming on. And he essentially immediately and all throughout worship and the service, you know, at a part of an hour and a half, is very locked in on and acutely aware of Lex. And yes, she's immediately behind him, but there's it's packed house. There's people everywhere. 
and Lex's emotions are coming up and he just is pretty consistently kind of looking back and even making little gestures and like he's sending you love and and, uh, healing and prayers and Mm -hmm. just a lot of that is we can feel that it's very clear Uh, and so at the end you can share your experience yeah he just was so filled with joy so happy to be at church he walked in and he hugged the other people or the other person and he put his hands up and he was just so excited so excited to be at church and there were certain things that the pastor would say when he was doing the message and everything where he would go yeah 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 and he'd shake his head yeah and um and any time i just i couldn't stop crying i couldn't stop crying cuz i was like what are the odds what are the odds that my first time saying yes to church, I have this young man that's sitting in front of me and he's essentially everything I was worried about. Mm-hmm. No. And he was nothing but as far as I could see him there, nothing but a joy. You know, that doesn't mean his life or managing him or being with him is easy, but he seemed so pure. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we got to the end of the service and I wasn't crying over the worship music or even though worship music tends to make me emotional, um, regardless of what they're singing about. Um, (laughs) and it wasn't like the message of the day or any of that stuff. It was watching him interact and thinking like, like I, it was like, it was everything, you know, it was certainly some like, this is what I don't get to have. And I kept just trying to talk to, to Gabriel, you know, in a way. And, uh, yeah, I just, in my head, I just kept saying, I, I love you so much, sweet boy. And I would have given you everything. I would have given you everything. You were so loved just as you are. You were so loved. And, uh, at the end of the service, he just kind of turned around and stared right at me, this young man. And, uh, kind of reached out and I touched his hand or grabbed his hand and I just said, can I give you a hug? And he said, yes, yes. An enthusiastic yes. And he leaned over the chairs and gave me a hug and he hugged me so tight. And I just cried. And I don't know if he understood it, but I told him when he parted, when he kind of, you know, released the hug. And I said, we lost a baby and he would have had special needs. and. He just, his eyes got wide and he went, oh, I'm sorry. And he hugged me again. So I feel like he understood what I was saying. Um, And he just hugged me, you know, again. And I just said, thank you. I said, being with you is very healing. And then, uh, and then we left. So it's like, it's this new compassion and interest that I have also in these people and these souls. I don't know what I'll do with it, what it means, but yeah. Mm. But I've got it now. Thank you all for listening, for holding the space. Yeah. Our dogs are now very restless, so it's time to call it a day. And I love you, baby. I appreciate just how real, raw, vulnerable, open you are. You were in this conversation and 
continue to be so impressed by you and in love with you and so insanely grateful to call you my wife and you are a great mother you were you are you will be i love you honey the story will continue yes it will it's this is not the end of it even though we've told a long story the story for me and you is having a family mm. and going through real shit and learning to love each other and be there for each other no matter what i'm so grateful that i have you i can't imagine what this is like for people who don't have a partner who is just present with them you know thank you always all right thank you everyone for listening i know this was quite a ride we just took you on so make sure to be sweet to yourselves and you know call your mom hug your kids a little tighter if you've got kids your partner yourself um, life is so precious and for some people so short you know so let our story have whatever its effect on you and you know do something for yourself and the people that you care about that lets them know that you care and that you're there remind yourself of what's really important in life thanks so much for listening to today's show if you loved it be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode and if you extra extra loved it make sure to leave a five-star review i'll see y'all next week